Hello everyone, this is Navriti and we are here with another episode of Above and Below and this season we are focusing on her story and talking to an amazing string of uh, women entrepreneurs and how they are shifting our cultural paradigms through their work and their businesses. And today I am so delighted to welcome Amber Rowlett. Uh, she is the director of marketing of Bold Penguin and host and producer of YouTube channel The Insurance Nerdery. And The Insurance Nerdery is a lighthearted approach to insurance content. And it also starts conversations and makes them more approachable for the audience to learn about everything insurance. So welcome, Amber. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, this is such a delight. You know, insurance is something, to be frank, I don't think about very often. So I'm so curious to learn about everything you know. <laughs> yeah, you're not alone there. It's definitely not a hot topic or hot item to think about for most folks until they have a, a loss or a claim of some kind. Yeah, so I'm just, I, I'd love to start from, you know, a hypothetical point A. So tell me about, you know, your story and your background. How did you get into insurance? So it was supposed to be a quick stopover before moving on to something more glamorous. Mm -hmm. uh, in 2007, I joined a large insurance company, American Family, um, entry level, like underwriting operations position. Thought it'd be a great place to get some corporate American experience um, and sort of get my feet wet in the business world. And 13 years later, I'm still in the insurance industry. I actually found out that there's a lot of exciting stuff going on and it's a really fun place to have a career in. So kind of fell into it, which I think is probably common for a lot of people in those types of industries that aren't quite as exciting looking from the outside. Um, and then towards uh, the end of the, those 10 years of American Family, I started moving into some product and marketing focused roles. and. When I wrapped up my MBA, I moved into the product and marketing side, got into some data and technology side of the industry. All right. So what kind of insurance did you start in? Because, you know, we hear of multiple kinds. There's life insurance, there's home insurance, there's like renter's insurance <laughs> and medical, you know, the list goes on and on. I think I've done everything except health. So I started off in personal lines. Um, so home, auto, umbrella, everything in between. Um, and now Bold Penguin is laser focused on the property and casualty, but commercial, so business side of it. So, mm. um, so that's been a slight shift for me. It's been really fun to dive into that side of the industry. So tell me more about Bold Penguin. What was the mission or purpose behind having found it and now being the director of marketing? Yeah, so at American Family in around 2014, 2015, I started seeing a lot of tech companies popping up. Um, so following the FinTech movement, the InsurTech, insurance technology movement started taking root. And I can say from my perspective, being part of the large incumbent player in that space, I was very skeptical of a lot of the companies coming up at that point in time. Um, a lot of the companies were coming up saying, essentially, you all are dinosaurs, you insurance companies, you insurance agents, you're going to be out of business. Our technology, our AI replaces all of you. So, you know, basically, you just wait. Um, I remember thinking, I, I don't know if that's the case. Mm. Um, I think there's a, a use for all of us in this space. Um, but during that time, around 2016, I saw Bold Penguin sort of throw its hat into the ring with a completely different message. Um, so Bold Penguin is a technology company that powers small commercial insurance. 
But their messaging wasn't, our platform is replacing carriers. Our platform is replacing agents. It was, we're empowering those who are currently in this space. So we're just making your lives faster and easier and better, but we aren't here to replace insurance agents. We aren't here to become a carrier, which was a very unique message at that time. So I started kind of following their journey, see what they were doing. I would see them on conferences and events. And what they were doing was so much different. Their messaging was so much different that it really caught my attention. So I would say I was actually kind of a bold penguin fangirl <laughs> up until I joined the company last summer. Uh, yeah, so when a friend recommended that I, I chat with the leadership, I jumped at the chance and you know was sold in conversation one. Very, very excited to be part of the team now. All right. I just want to take a step back here. Um, and you know, for our listeners who want a little bit more intel on just, you know, the purpose of insurance, you know, so really going to, to basics, um, what is the importance of insurance? Is, is specifically the one that you, that the area that you work in? Yeah. So I think, um, commercial and business insurance is probably one of the, most important but least understood areas. I mean, everyone understands the need for health insurance, right? Because we go to the doctor. Mm -hmm. um, and most people have cars or houses or apartments, so they understand that need. Um, but around commercial insurance, I think people understate the importance for it. So for a small business, it's easy to think, well, my business is really small. I don't really need insurance. But it's actually the opposite because if you're a large company and you know you have a lawsuit or you have a physical loss, like a fire or a theft, you can typically recover from it. But a small business, one event like that can take them out. And I think one thing I'm seeing, with, especially with like the gig economy, is side businesses. So that being defined as any business that's not the you know the primary income, 25% of Americans have a side business, and less than 10% are insured. So, I mean, these are people's dreams, their hopes for the future. Um, so if you have, you know, it, even if you're doing something like consulting, you know, it's a, a, a one woman show. If you have a lawsuit um, or if so, if someone takes your advice and, uh, you know, like a, a ne negligence of some kind happens, there's so many different ways that you're at risk as an entrepreneur, as a business owner. Um, I think we often think about, um, the most common ones, if you have goods, for example, that could be stolen and that, represent, that represents an exposure, but there's so many other threats out there, like cyber, for example. If your system is hacked and you lose all your records, mm -hmm. how, are, how can your business recover? So I think that's where it's so important to understand what kind of coverage you have and why I personally think the insurance agent isn't going away anytime soon because there's so much complexity with business. I mean, if you think about something simple like a hair salon, well, there's different ways in which a hair salon can operate. You know, if you serve alcohol, you serve champagne, that's one type of exposure. Or maybe you also do facials or maybe you also do, um, you know, some kind of yoga practice, for example, included in your your um, business. So I think that's why it's so important to really understand all of your exposures and the types of coverages mm -hmm. that you need. Mm -hmm. And just to bring it back to bold penguin what role does bold penguin play in the insurance world specifically to the small businesses and the commercial uh, aspects that you just mentioned yeah so bold penguin really plays out as a unifier so as i mentioned 
The word disruption, if you Google InsureTech, you see disruption, disruptive, transformative, all these, all these buzzwords. Um, and that's one thing that Bold Penguin is not, has ever tried to do. So it's about connecting small businesses with agents and carriers and the technology in place to make that happen. So there's a lot of challenges uh, are in that space. So for example, the US government has over 19,000 classifications for types of businesses. Mm. So wow. <laughs> there's a lot of nuances there. Uh -huh. um, so on our platform, essentially, we have all of those identified. So you, and we use natural language processing to do that. So you start typing, I repair roofs, I climb on roofs and do this X, Y, Z. So it's classifying that business into the correct code. And then on the other end, we have agencies and insurance companies who've selected the specific codes that they want to insure. So there's no guesswork, there's no filling out 14 different applications and calling around to 14 different insurance companies um, and trying to find the right coverage. It This is what our technology does. It does that for you mm -hmm. and then it, it distributes it. So that's it in a nutshell. Um, and we also power, if you've seen us in the news, we've, you've probably seen us with like, Progressive or nationwide or a company like that, and um, we power their platforms um, mm -hmm. to help get their their agents get their um, insureds coverage. Mm -hmm. So that's a few of the different ways that our technology works within the industry. But the main goal is connecting small businesses with insurance coverage and agencies. So you mentioned the insure tech movement. So I'd like to start there and get a bit more comprehensive about your thoughts on what is the insure tech movement? Yeah, that is the million dollar question. And I think it's this movement that I really piggybacked on the fintech space. So we saw a lot of technology playing out in the financial services space um, prior to, you know, 2012, which is when the, the kind of the very, the first seeds of the insure tech movement began to sprout. But really what it was is taking advantage of the technology that other industries were already using. So when I joined the insurance world in 2007, the hot new technology at the time was online billing. So this is 2007. People are already, I mean, this is way behind every other industry, right? Um, so the insurance industry was really having a hard time playing catch up. And mm. one of the reasons for that is it's a very complex industry. You've got 50 different states here in the US with 50 different sets of rules. It's not easy. You don't just charge whatever you want. You have to work with the division of insurance. Everything has to be approved and there's actuaries and it's very complicated. Um, so it's it's a little slower moving than you know the retail space, for example. So there was this huge opportunity of all this technology. You know, you've got blockchain, you've got artificial intelligence, you've got machine learning, natural language processing, all these technologies that a lot of opportunity existed within to improve the insurance space. So what you saw was a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of venture capital flowing into that to take advantage of leveraging these technologies in an industry that had not previously leveraged them. And certainly some insurance companies are doing that within, but it's a large, if you've got a 130 year old company, they're not gonna be able to move as quickly as you mm -hmm. know, a five person startup. You mentioned uh, AI before, so this is going beyond just online billing. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, it sounds like insurance, or specifically in your experience, you've seen technology being incorporated in this industry. And you mentioned AI. So how is AI changing uh, the way that insurance is being 
distributed and handled? Yeah, so one example that I can think of from the property space, which most people can relate to if you, if you have a home or a, or, or in a building of any kind, um, is the risk changes and you often aren't communicating these changes back to um, your agent. It's Like I said, we, it's not top of mind. Insurance is not something you wake up and think about unless you know, you're me and I'm a huge insurance nerd. Um, but one use case I saw was using drones and these new technologies. So having a drone flyover, taking some of that data in and having it assess risk. So being able to tell when a new pool is installed, being able to tell when there's a wildfire risk, judging slope, the, the tree density. To Instead of having underwriters taking pictures every five years, you've got drones and you've got AI and machine learning that is going over these spaces on a monthly basis. Um, so you're buying that imagery and then using it to assess risk on an ongoing basis instead of a lot of times finding out the risk change when you have a claim. Mm. So maybe you get a liability claim comes through as an insurance company uh, for a, a pool and you didn't even know they had a pool while one was installed. So really assessing, and that's from the underwriting perspective, assessing risk and pricing risk and making sure people are insured correctly. Mm -hmm. You know, say you build a new um, addition or add on to your garage not everyone remembers to go tell their agent and get that updated. So you're uninsured or underinsured usually in that, in, in the case of a loss. Let's making sure the insurance is covered. So using that technology to really help everyone. What would you say people, business owners, homeowners get wrong about insurance? That's a great question. And of course, you know, through your experience and what yeah. you've learned. Yeah, I think as I kind of mentioned earlier, understating the importance of different coverages. And I'm thinking of like cyber for just one example, is just assuming that all policies are the same. So it's easy to go online, and this is especially true for like a, an auto policy, for example, is just comparing by the price. But the policy language in each policy, from policy to policy and company to company, is very different. So for example, one home policy might offer matching siding and um, replacement costs for your roof. That means in the event of a loss, they'll make sure that your house matches. If they install new siding because it's damaged, they'll also match that so it looks consistent. And they'll replace your roof for the full cost to replace. So if you compare that to a policy that has language that states that there's not matching siding, then your house is going to look mismatched. And maybe that's important to you, maybe it's not. Um, but they'll, they'll replace only the damaged parts. So mm -hmm. what you're left with is some new siding, some old siding. And if you have actual cash value for the roof, it means that you might get $5,000 for your $15,000 roof and mm -hmm. you're left putting the rest of the bill. But if you don't understand the policy language, then you won't understand the differences. And I, this is where I think the agent comes into play because the agent, that's their job, right? Is to know what those, you know, 25 pages of verbiage say and explain the important parts to the insured. Mm -hmm. That's hard to do on your own. I mean, even I come from the insurance world, I still rely on my agent. Mm -hmm. So I have an agent, he shops me around, he'll present a few different options, and he'll break it down, Luke. What are the main differences? Am I, am I getting better coverage with this policy or this one? And how are they different? Or need to buy back some endorsements mm. or take off some coverage? Um, and it, it's more complex than just a, a straight price comparison in most cases. Mm. So you would suggest if someone is 
seeking insurance, whether they're a small business or whether they're becoming homeowners again or for the first time to work with an agent because you you see these emerging technologies where, you know, people are offering insurance just through like a few clicks online. Um, and what you're saying is that the agent isn't going to go away because why? Why do we need, really need them? So at this point in time, I don't think that we have replicated the agent's brain mm -hmm. to the degree that we would need to. Because right. when, <laughs> when you're entering in your information for a quote comparison, for example, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know to enter, um, you know, maybe you've got some, and I'm from Minnesota, so people, people have like hunting lands and little cabins. Maybe you don't know that you need to buy back option to cover liability for your piece of land up north. You know, you wouldn't, you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but the agent would know to ask you that. Right. But we, we haven't quite replicated that experience. I think the agent is still going to be around, and especially when you have a loss. Uh, we had a devastating fire loss. I remember when I was, I think I was nine or 10, and our whole garage burned down. We had smoke damage at the house, and our agent was there at our house with a check and a hug. And it honestly made a huge difference for us, knowing he was there walking us through it. It wasn't a chatbot. Mm. This is many years ago, obviously, pre-chatbot. Um, but if I could choose between having my agent Dan there with me or talking to a chatbot at that moment, I definitely would have picked the agent. Sorry, I really have to sneeze. Oh, oh it went away. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I, I promise that wasn't like a tactic. <laughs> my my high school teacher told me like if you have to sneeze and you're reading the room and you can't like stare at a bright light. Oh. And just like blink a lot. And it, it like goes away. <laughs> Tried and true. I will have to never see me staring at the light. No why. Um well I'd love to talk to you about and learn more about your YouTube channel, The Insurance Nerdery. So what guided you to start your YouTube channel? Yeah, great question. I sometimes I still wonder that myself, like, why did I do this? This is, this is so outside of my comfort zone. And it still is, even after I've been doing videos for about a year and a half. Um, but when I left American Family, um, I knew I would lose some of that that day-to-day -day insurance company knowledge. You know, you're, you're not in the world anymore. So after a year of being outside and being on the, like, the data on the tech side, like how can I keep learning and keep growing my network in the insurance space uh, when I'm not directly in an insurance company? And one thing I also saw was a lot of voices, uh, great voices I still follow talking about the agency experience and the agency space, which is of course very valuable, but there wasn't a lot of conversation around those on the insurance company side and underwriters like me <laughs> and product people. And I thought, well, maybe I could do that. Maybe I could start the conversation. Um, so I did it. So I just started making videos, grabbed a camera, um, and obviously you learn a lot going through it, um, the, the actual process of creating content. Um, but what it's done for me is really just, it's forced me to stay current, right? Because I'm always like researching things to, to, to cover my videos. Um, and it's created so many amazing relationships that I guarantee I would not have without the series. I, I, I post on LinkedIn and I 
I'm always amazed with like the breadth of knowledge in the comments of the, with the value that people are adding and the questions they're asking and, and the follow-up messages they create and usually a few coffee dates here and there. And um, I'm every time I think, wow, this is a lot of work. Maybe I should just post less. I think about everything I'm gaining and it's just 100% worth it. What was your first video about? So my, if you remember, <laughs> yeah. So my first video was um, the Women in Insurance Conference um, in 2018, and I cannot tell you how terrified I was. I got three leaders, like amazing leaders in the insurance industry, to agree to an interview on camera. I had never interviewed anyone before. Mm. I had never filmed anything before, um, but it was it was so amazing. Um, I couldn't believe the generosity that they had to share their experiences with me. And it's something that's very near and dear to my heart, like women in leadership and women in insurance, which has traditionally been kind of a male dominated space. Um, And that was my first video. Um, And I, most of them I do keep pretty simple. I'll just do like a talking head commentary when I research something, but I do still enjoy doing um, interviews with leaders when I get the chance. What question or, yeah, what question do your viewers come to you the most for? So one request I get a lot is when something's changing. So, for example, there's a rating agency called AM Best um, in the insurance industry. And they what do were, they rate? Um, so they rate the strength, the financial strength of insurance companies. So if you're an agent or you're insured and you want to know, well, should I go with insurance company A or insurance company B? One of the things you can use to assess their financial strength is the AMBEST rating. Um, so they also are, in this case, they were introducing an innovation score as part of this rating. So everyone was talking about, what does this mean? What does this mean? How do we? How do you score high? How do you score low? What does it mean? So, um, so I researched it, um, and I, I'm always reaching out to um, those in the know. I don't pretend to be an expert on any of these topics. Just starting the conversation. Um, so I covered that. Um, that's still actually one of my highest searched videos. Mm. Um, there was some new legislation passed in Kentucky called an Innovation Sandbox. There's a lot of conversation around that. Um, so I've got some people reaching out to me. Hey, can mm. you share? Can you tell us what's going on with that? And in that case, um, some folks within the, the leadership of the Vision of Insurance in Kentucky were able to talk to me and really firsthand tell me what they wanted, what they would like the public to know about it. Um, so I'm just kind of the the, the medium there to, to share what they want to know and just help everyone understand what's going on. So those mm-hmm. are some of like the... The more popular ones are people are asking, what's going on? Can you just give us a quick summary? Because my videos are t- tend to be five to seven, seven minutes. Five to seven minutes in length is my goal length for the videos. Um, so I'll do hours of research, but then I condense it down. So that that's one of my goals is to um, do the research so others don't have to and provide sources, you know, mm, so that they can mm-hmm. circle back later, but kind of curate the information for right. the industry. And highlight what's important. Exactly. So you're not getting lost in all the, kind of like the terms in use, you yes, know. Yes, exactly. Like contract that we just <laughs> blindly click, you know, yep. agree on. Um, I wanted to take a moment to talk about more of your personal journey. Because um, you mentioned that you left American Life and then, you know, soon found Bull Penguin and are now the director of marketing there and also starting your own YouTube channel. So what, so at a personal level, what was that journey like to transition from being in big insurance into 
doing kind of like finding your own way in a different way yeah it was very exciting terrifying a little bit jarring (laughs) so after about five or seven years in underwriting um i really got some deep project work under my belt so working with product and marketing teams so launching new rating structures new you know insurance discounts things like that so i got a glimpse into that world And the creative in me was really drawn to that side of the industry. Don't get me wrong, I love underwriting and like risk and I'm totally nerd out in policy language, but the the creative process just feeds my soul in a way that nothing else does. So I really was drawn to that space, but wasn't quite sure how to get there. Um, So I looked at those in my company that were there, like, okay, so how did they get there? What what projects did they work on? What, What, um, what education do they have? So I went back to school, um, got my MBA from the University of Minnesota Carlson. Um, and while I was going through the program, it was a part-time program, so I was still working throughout it. Um, I had the opportunity to move into the tech and data side and went from corporate America to what at the time is, was a relatively small company, 130 employees total. So very different environment um, to go from the heavy structure and the process of corporate America Mm. to essentially what felt more like a startup life. Mm -hmm. But I found that as terrifying and uncomfortable as it was, I loved it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in corporate America, there's there's so much matrix structure, which is great for a lot of things. But what I found is that I could develop in ways that I didn't think possible working for a smaller company at that point in my career, I could just walk into my managing director's office and pitch an idea. Mm. You know, you don't have that access to your CEO um, in corporate America at at the level I was at. Right. Um, And I got to work on some acquisitions, got to do some international project work, launching a claims app in Europe. Um, Just experiences that there's no way I would have had had I stayed there. So. What I ended up with is like, I I really, really value the corporate experience and I really, really value startup experience. So you mentioned, um, thank you. Yeah, yeah you, you mentioned um, discomfort and, you know, and encountering that when you were going through this uh, transition. So I'm curious to know, um, how can, how, how would you say one can get comfortable with discomfort? Yeah, it's something that I am very passionate about because I've reaped the rewards of it. Um, And for me, it was putting myself out there and letting myself falter and being okay with failing a little bit. Mm. Um, So just acknowledging the feelings of being uncomfortable. um, And I even think about walking into the office for my first interview on like the data tech side, the environment. I went from corporate America to everything is is just how, how you would imagine Silicon Valley, for example, walking in and there's like everything's bright orange and glass and trendy and I'm instantly out of my comfort zone. And it's just it's step one for me is like acknowledging the physical feelings and acknowledging, OK, so my heart is beating faster. OK, I'm sweating a little bit. Yes, I acknowledge those feelings. I'm still breathing. I'm going to breathe slower now. I'm going to breathe from the bottom of my stomach. Mm. And uh, for me, that's where some of my meditation habits have really paid off um, in just acknowledging my physical body and being okay with that, being okay with being uncomfortable and breathing through it. Mm. 
Yeah. I'd say the body can definitely speak to you in a lot of ways, <laughs> uh, especially when you're entering new territory or trying to create new habits or just expecting something, you know, new for yourself that you're not used to. Because it feels like a yeah, threat. Right, you know? right. And I, I also try to remind myself, like, there's no tiger chasing me. Yeah. I'm not in danger. Very good I'm point. Safe. <laughs> I'm excited for this. This is an amazing opportunity. So that's another piece of, for me is like reframing those physical symptoms mm. as excitement. Mm -hmm. So instead of fear or yes, threat. Yeah. yeah. So just and it, it it is kind of a mind trick, but it works because most of the time in those situations, I actually am excited. Mm -hmm. I'm just also nervous. Mm -hmm. So just trying to transform all of that energy into excitement. And that's how we just harnessing it for good. Right. Instead of letting it distract you, letting it power you. So in one phrase, what advice would you give your younger self? I would say believe in yourself and your future. I feel like a lot of us struggle from imposter syndrome and understating our value. Mm. And I definitely fall into that category mm -hmm. of, well, why should I be on this project? Someone else could do a better job at this. I So-and-so has five more years of experience than I do. And so-and-so has done X, Y, Z. Why should I do it? And I think where I've had the most success and where I've had the most personally rewarding experiences is when I've successfully let go of that feeling of, I don't deserve this, this opportunity. So I would just go back and say, Amber, <laughs> just trust in your abilities and trust in your future. Mm, I love that. And just to end on a lighter note, uh, what skills do you have or hobbies that aren't listed on your LinkedIn? Ooh, good one. What skills do I have? Hmm. Do you hula hoop? <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, just, I'm just putting some I, ideas out there. <laughs> so um, one thing that most don't know is that I really love languages. Mm. Um, and I uh, speak and sing in French at home. And uh, my kids do that with me. Uh, awesome. So we'll c'est génial. Oh, on parle français? Oui, un petit peu. Oh, c'est génial. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. And I think uh, um, I, I don't have much in the way of, of coordination, but um, I'm very good at uh, like running in a straight line. Mm. So <laughs> that's my, that's where my uh, physical expertise ends. So Amber, one last thing. Finish this sentence. Connection is everything. Connection is everything. Community is everything. That's how you find true contentment and success. Mm. Well, Amber, thank you so much. It was such a delight to learn about you and all the work that you're doing and making insurance way more approachable for people like me and beyond. Thanks so much for having me on. Be willing to talk a little insurance nerdery with me. I appreciate that. Yes, I, I, I'm so looking forward to checking out the insurance nerdery. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. That was Amber Woulette. Uh, you can check out her website, boldpenguin.com and also her YouTube channel, The Insurance Nerdery.